All right, I think we should get started here. I'm your host, as usual, Evan Minto, and this time I am at Otakon 2019 in Washington, D.C., and with me today is a friend of mine who I've never interviewed or had on a podcast (laughs) before. Uh, it's Yoshihiro Watanabe, known as Nabe. I, I call you Nabe. Yeah, well, yeah you everyone go by calls Nabe. Me Nabe. <laughs> when I entered the industry, um, basically Mariama said that, well, we have too many Yoshis I know. So I used to go as Yoshi at right, right. college. And he's like, oh, you had too many Yoshis, so we're going to call you Nabe. So he just renamed you. You yes. got a new name. Yeah. So all my industry people, anything that remotely relates to industry is Nabe. Mm. So you just name dropped uh, founder of Madhouse Masao Mariyama in here. So part of what we'll be talking about here is your career as a a bunch of different things in the Japanese side, the actual production and marketing side yeah. of the anime industry. And it's actually like one of the reasons I really wanted to actually sit down and talk to you on the microphone is it's still pretty rare that we get people who work on the Japan side, especially at mm-hmm. like the the level of detail that you have. Uh, who speak English, mm. right? So we usually have to be going through interpreters. Yeah. Well, like, it's... The number of people growing, uh, multi-bilingual speakers that are growing in Japan right now. So I'm looking forward to the next five years, maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I started working, there was no one, like... There were actually um, a couple, like, bilingual animators and Madhouse, but there was no other English speaker other than myself. For the production side. Right. So uh, I, I actually don't even think in our like personal conversations, I've totally like walked through mm-hmm. the steps of what you, uh, mm. you know, what your career looked like, like how you ended up working uh, in the anime industry. So yeah, yeah. Today we're at Otakon, but actually this is where I started my career. Um, well, to be exact, I started my career at Anime Expo. Um, my college roommate was actually interpreting for Anime Expo. And he's like, one year, so you want to do this with me? I'm like, okay, well, I'm free during summer. I don't have any <laughs> summer jobs or anything. And <clears throat> so I volunteered staff at M Expo, and that's the first time I met Mariama as a guest. Mm. Mariama Masao, the founder of Madhouse, and uh, he was the senior producer at the time at Madhouse. Mm. And he's like, well, I was actually assigned to him. And that's when he's like, well, we're starting a U.S. office. Do you want to come here? And I'm like, well, I never, I always wanted to work in the anime industry, but I never imagined working in Japan. But if this is an opportunity, I should take it. Because until then, I was actually, it was my final year in college, mm. and I was set to go to Sega. But I basically declined that and went into Madhouse USA. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, a, that was opening up a whole treasure trove of horrifying or extreme experiences <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah i mean there's like a the just in general the anime industry has a really bad reputation for chewing people up right uh, and i think like a lot of times we hear about animators right we hear about mm-hmm. uh really low rates for mm. frames and things but you worked as a as like a production assistant basically right so in the u.s office i was a assistant producer oh, for right. okay. yeah, yeah. live action the deals that Madhouse was doing mm. at the time, or co-production, international projects. So, <clears throat> but one day I get a call from Mariama to the U.S. office. He's like, "Well, you should come to Japan." Mm. And I'm like, "Well, how? When, from when?" He's like, "Next week." <laughs> I'm like, "Next week? Come on! <laughs> Can I get like a month?" And he's like, "Well, if you wanna 
leave leave the company. You can. Oh man. <laughs> so I guess well, I it should, maybe I should have made a better choice back then, but I made the choice of going to Japan. So that's how I ended up in Japan for until now, all the way. Yeah, and so I I, I thought you worked as a uh you like you worked. As a production assistant or production yeah, when desk? I, so or, when I went yeah. to Japan, I was a production... So uh, what's that translate to? Uh, well, Wait, asset management. Uh, which one? What was it? Sete Seisaku? So Sete was like design. So it's pre-production. Right? Pre-production, yeah. yeah, yeah. Management. Okay, so you weren't working on... Like, you weren't doing the animation running on individual episodes? I that kind of thing? I was, or? sort okay. of, but not on too many animators. Okay. The one I handled was very unique, so he never really came to the studio at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, people listening to this are probably, if they're familiar with these terms, they're either familiar with them from me describing them on the podcast or whatever, or probably from Shirabako. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so the main character of Shirabako is a, she's a production assistant, so she's one of the people who's, like, running keyframes back and forth and actually, like, collecting all of the assets yeah. to make the finished episode. Um, yeah, but that's uh, slightly different from what you, you your official role was. Yeah, right? you were well, sete, I mean, we had to go collect designs and stuff. So mm. I mean, the basic essential what what we're doing, we're just collecting different types of art materials but, instead of keyframes. Yeah. It was uh, like design materials, character design, and background design yeah. sheets and things like that. But Miyamori was the better sete, uh, <laughs> better production assistant. I was worse than Taro at the time, so... All right, but also, like, she's a cartoon character. She's not yeah. real. <laughs> if she was real, that studio <laughs> is very lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I definitely remember uh, my impressions of watching it, because I, I think I've mentioned to you, right, I went to school for animation, mm-hmm. so... Uh, and actually, so did David, my co-host on the Gamers podcast, and uh, and we had the same professor who was very jaded about animation. And so we watched Shirobako and we saw these like girls being like, oh gosh, I love working in animation. We were like, everything we learned is like, this sucks. It's going to be really <laughs> shitty. You're going to have to <laughs> put up with so much bad stuff. <laughs> well, like, I mean, uh, it's art. So like, there's, it's not just simple processing. You can't just say the artists and just finish it by day. day. It doesn't work. They don't work like machines. So they do, do delay, and the production management's true skill is how you're going to manage that delay. If you right. can't manage, you're just making the project worse and worse. Because you can't necessarily get the frames from them in yeah. time, so you need to figure out a way around it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You get any and get into any car accidents uh, doing that. Uh... <laughs> I don't want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Should, That's, yeah. That says everything you need to hear, I think. <laughs> but yeah, um, my my co so my production management co- colleague, he was on a bicycle when I we were driving, and he was stupid enough to grab the car when he was on the bicycle. Oh, he didn't get into any injuries, but we saw his bike tumble down. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, let it go, let it go. He's like, no. Isn't like, that called? Is that called ghost riding? I, don't know. I think that's called ghost riding. Uh, write in to podcast at antigamers.com to tell me if that's called ghost riding in, uh, in slang. <laughs> yeah. Well. So you ended up, was it right after Madhouse, you ended up uh, working freelance? So around 2012, um, I left Madhouse and yeah, I became freelance. 
actually tried to leave the industry because I got kind of fed up with it. Mm. So I left for about three months and came back. <laughs> well, I went, to, I went to go work for a venture company who operated in Vietnam. And that venture company decided not to do that venture in three months. So oh, wow. I'm like, wow, I lost my job in three months. Wait, so it's unrelated to anime. It was sort of adventures. related to anime in, in Vietnam, though. But it wasn't about making anime. It was about distributing anime. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So being like a, I don't know, broadly speaking, like a crunchy roll for Vietnam kind yeah, of thing or basically. something. Yeah. Huh. So the freelance thing is also interesting because that is pr- like what, what you described to me that you were doing mm-hmm. was pretty rare. Very mm-hmm. few people were being like freelance. It sounded like you were doing a bunch of different things, like yeah. helping with production and with overseas marketing and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I've done marketing, um, brand management, um, just simple inter- interpretation to what? I, I was manga manga's assistant as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Wait, person can you I, say which manga artist? Uh, it was um, Hell's Angel, uh, Hell's author, Hiromoto. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he was, we, we were working on a project together at Madhouse, and we became friends. And one night he just calls me up. He's like, I don't have an assistant. You, you, you could use Photoshop, right? Oh my like, God. I could use Photoshop, but I never assisted manga before. So I'm making all these effects on Photoshop. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this is what I mean. I mean, you've done a lot of different stuff there. So you, were, you definitely did a bunch of work for, uh, for PA works, works yeah. right? So for a couple of years you were. Yeah, so um, actually when I left Madhouse, um, I went back to LA for once and for just a couple of weeks. And um, I, it was happened to be the AX, AX weekend. <laughs> and someone, at, a friend at AX wanted to help, so I went to go help them. And it turns out the PA works, um, Horikawa CEO and Kikuchi, the executive director, was there. And I basically was the interpreter for them. And a couple months later, they called me up. Um, finding out that I was freelance and he want, they wanted help on something. So they called me up for work. And that's how the relationship started. started. And it was really interesting because it was so different from Madhouse. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask like what the working environments were like comparing the studios. Mm, well, like, Madhouse was, um, it was like, it was like a, a samurai war feudal time Japan. <laughs> Because <laughs> you have these like champions, all these like significant um, artists like Kon Satoshi, mm-hmm. Yoshiaki, so, so many like talented directors in this one small place, and they have all. And it's also animators. Um, they have really talented animators, um, Kanemori. Uh, they had um, uh, who else? Minowa Itaka, and these guys are all working on different projects. And yeah, like. It's like it's a totally different experience from production these nowadays because back then we had like twenty key animators, one animation director, and one production assistant on one episode of the show. Mm. Nowadays it's like what <laughs> ten key, ten in between, uh, ten key animators? Uh, no, um, well key animators it's like maybe more than twenty. Right, it could be go up to hundred. Yeah. <laughs> I look at the credits sometimes like, oh my god, what, how how is this managed? Was there but, a lot of like outsourcing then too? Because I, I mean, 
like even just within Japan, because I know there's a lot of that where you like outsourcing to other studios. For in between, some there's definitely outsourcing. There's in-house, in between departments, mm-hmm. and um, which is led by in between checkers. Right. And also, we had a part at Madhouse. We had a partner studio called DR Movie. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. Closely, I always thought it was Doctor Movie. No, it was DR. DR Movie. Movie. I made the same mistake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But yeah, so they wait, 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 were was, was DR movie in house? No, well, it's in Korea. Just a partner. Okay, yeah, right, so right. It's yeah, a, it's a, I should have known that. <laughs> I don't know if there was. I mean, I don't know the exact if there was money flow between the capital investment or anything. Right, right. But as a studio, they worked very closely together. Yeah. So, yeah, like there, we all always sent one of one or two production assistant to Korea to work on the exact shows that we're working on. So I was sent to Korea for three months for um, when we worked on Hulk versus series. Hmm. You said that Madhouse was like a feudal warfare or something. Yes. What was PA Works like? PA Works felt much more systemized. Mm. Um, I was well. PA Works. I was never part of their production until recently. So, mm. uh, like you for, were doing their their like international development yeah international things. development. Yeah. So I was never really part of their production team. Um, I helped out, uh, what else, like, well, I managed their, like, social media accounts, or I went to their international events, so their, like, when Mario Okada goes to Anime Expo, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do those kind of appearances, uh, help those appearances, but, yeah, those were my main jobs at PA Works, but, like, for example, when Eccentric Family 2 happened, Mm -hmm. Kikuchi specifically asked me that, oh, we needed a licensing person and I've done licensing at Madhouse so that's why they got brought me on as part of the eccentric family 2 team and we were basically in the producing team and after that like so this January 2019 January right um, I was working with them on the commercial for League of Legends right so right. that's the only ta- time I actually was part of their production team yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's the one that Shingo Yamashita worked on, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I found the director, I found the key teams, and PA Works provided um, a couple other key team members for the art, art department. Yeah, so that one was kind of, uh, that one's interesting because Shingo Yamashita is, uh, is actually, he does, he's... He's mostly an animator, right? He's not like has he's a director now. He's not, right, but he's um, like recently. He, he's more of a, kind of a compositing a director. director now. Mm. So yeah, he's he started out his career as a web gen people right. call him animator, and um, at the time I actually met him um, when we were working on a project called Shaolin Cowboy at Madhouse, mm. which unfortunately was never released. <laughs> what um, was it called? Shaolin Cowboy. That sounds so cool. Yeah, it's a comic based on Jeff Darrow. Yeah, that's so, the sort of thing that like Netflix would greenlight these days. Yeah, right? it's, <laughs> it's it's amazing because it's this middle aged cowboy guy like just fighting these weird, weird creatures. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so he were he was what was he attached on? Oh, he was that. Uh, he was a, at, that was that was two thousand nine or so. Oh, okay, so that was so earlier. In that his was career, when yeah. yeah, still he was just an animator. So he joined as an animator, and we kept in touch. Like maybe once a year or so, so we didn't really have too many, too much of a communication. But when the project came up, um, I thought Yamashita would, because Yamashita released this um, Ninjari, was it 
the it was a commercial opening for one of his mobile mobile games for Blade Smash. Oh, uh, Blade Smash! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blade Smash opening is really good. People yeah. should look that up if you're listening. So when I saw Blade Smash, I'm like, oh, how much the is really impressive. Yeah. And he was showing me um, other projects before he worked on Blade Smash too. So like before the commercial, or maybe about a year or so, we were keeping more frequently in touch. But yeah, seeing Blade Smash, I'm like I want him to be direct this commercial for the Legend. So so much of this, like we we hear stories about this, about how much of getting the production team together for for something like that mm-hmm. is. Like, it's just about relationships, and it's just about, like, who is the producer on this, and who do they know? So, mm-hmm. like, it, it, I assume, like, it seems like that's pretty accurate, that it's just, like, you knew somebody, you mm-hmm. had, like, you had his email, you had worked with him once. Actually, for this commercial, because, as I said, I was so away from production itself. Mm-hmm. Like, I had the relationship that I had in Shadow and Cowboy, which was really uh, talented people, because um, the producer on it was Fukushi. And he's mm. the producer for One Punch Man at Madhouse. Yeah. Um, what else he did? Uh, Boogie Pop. So he's really um, knows so many talented animators. And when he joined Madhouse at the time, like he was bringing on his like dream team. Yeah, I mean, One, one Punch Man is totally that. Yeah. It's, it's very much him, I guess, right? It's mm-hmm. his like his connections his that got pulled in. Yeah. But so I only knew those people or other people at Madhouse, but everyone else like they. Like over the years, over the decade, they've become more important figures. Mm. So if they become, if they were animators, they became character designers. Right. And I, I don't need ten character designers on one <laughs> show. So and it's That'd very rude fun. to ask. <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> but they're they're working on their own career, and it's mm-hmm, kind of rude mm-hmm. to ask to just lower their career and work on something too. Oh, to have them come in as an animator mm-hmm. or something. It's not always the case. Right. Yeah, I was but, gonna say because yeah. there's people who will like you know, still animate while mm-hmm. they're doing other stuff. But I guess are there people who would rather be like, no, I want to stick to character design. That's my thing now. Mm-hmm. Well, if I firmly believe that it's something that only they can do, mm-hmm. I would have done that. But it's not particularly, the segment that I was thinking was not particularly fit into them. And as I was talking to Yamashita, he wanted more international talent because he'd been seeing so many talent on Twitter. And oh, yeah, um, yeah. he hasn't really worked on like. Uh, all the international talent outside of Japan. So since I'm bilingual, he wanted to take the opportunity to get yeah. more broader staff. So that's why I reached out to people I never met or talked to, but saw on Twitter. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that was a really, I mean, really, um, it was a really like a scary moment. Right. Because I'm like, what am I doing? Doesn't I mean, this that, sound rude? That's kind of how the, how the web gen operates, the web mm-hmm. generation, right? Like it, I've, I've heard so many stories about in general, like people in that group uh, recruiting animators for productions by like yeah. just seeing people online and being like, you look cool, you want to come work on this show? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, like the, you said the thing about international animators, which we should get to in a little bit, but I want to kind of wrap up by talking about your, your new gig. Mm-hmm. So you just did a panel yesterday mm-hmm. about uh, Studio Orange, yeah. where you're working now. Are, is that still freelance, or are you full-time no, at Orange? No, I'm uh, free-time. Uh, free-time? <laughs> <laughs> Having fun I, I'm at a, Orange. I'm a, I'm a empo- I'm now an employee of Orange. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's good to feel be an employee after, what, seven years <laughs> of being freelance? <laughs> no, I felt that being freelance, well, unfortunately, after January, I had personal um, family issues that mm. I had to be, um, I have to hold my workload down. So I wasn't really doing too much anime work 
Um, but being freelance, what I felt, one of the dilemmas I felt is that to change something, change like a major issue, uh, it's really difficult to be a freelance. Um, my freelancing style oh. was that working with other like more mobile people, so like other freelancers yeah, or yeah. Um, people with freelancing behaviors. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to do develop a very like like a network. Good, yeah, a good yeah. team, depending on the project. But to change a more bigger issue, it was really difficult to. As a project, basically, we can. But as a as a systematic thing, it was really difficult to change. It's a really interesting point, actually, because I actually I work freelance right now as largely as a web developer, mm. which is like seemingly different completely from this. But I think there's a lot of similarities there mm. in that organizational problems that I would have otherwise been able to sort of like help fix mm -hmm. in an engineering organization somewhere if I was full-time I can't do that as a freelancer because yeah. I'm just brought in to solve a particular problem and I'm not here to like deal with the rest of the system at this company yeah. so it sounds like it's that kind of issue yeah like inherently the industry has problems um, these problems could be unique to the company or it could be um, mm. just part of the systematic whole behavioral of the industry and either way, like it's really, it was really difficult to change either of them, right? So, like, I wanted to. I felt the like before leaving Madhouse, I felt that being freelancer might be the solution. But as being freelancer, there was so much I wanted to change, but mm. couldn't. So in June this year, um, I met up with my former colleague Waki, mm. and Waki he used to be a colleague at Madhouse, but he used he was one year. He joined Madhouse one year after me, so he's younger than me. But he went to Studio Chizu, and then and that's uh, Hosoda's studio, right? Yeah, that's Hosoda's Chizu. studio. Yeah. So he worked on. Um, I think he worked on Boy. Boy, I'm not. Sure, I can't remember exactly, but Boy he worked on Boy and the Beast yeah. and the one before that too. And then he they um, went to Orange to produce uh, Land Lustrous as his first producer producing work. Yeah, I was going to point out for people listening, because maybe not all of our listeners are up to date on every single studio and what they've done. Uh, Orange is a CG studio that is most well known for Land of the Lustrous. Is that basically the first, that is the first like full production that Orange has done on their own that isn't like work for hire? Yeah, yeah. I think everything up to then was for Orange was everything was work for hire. Mm. And Land of the Lustrous was the first project they ever did on their own yeah so they didn't really have any know-how so they even have a they didn't even have a production management system <laughs> right yeah and i'm a really big fan of orange i actually just did my cg animation panel here which is called in defense of cg anime i see <laughs> Where I, yeah i tried to I, I wanted to go to that one <laughs> uh yeah bad. it would have been it would have been good to get your thoughts on it because i i imagine i might have gotten a couple things wrong but uh I definitely I talk about Orange in there, not just about Land of the Lustrous, which is a great example of CG used correctly to mm -hmm. like solve a particular mm -hmm. problem well. You know, particularly the hair is is done so well mm -hmm. in Land of yeah. the Lustrous, but also um, Orange has done some really good work. And and the uh, director, what Ina Inomoto, Inomoto, yeah, um, on on the work for hire stuff. Like I I show a clip from Code Geass Akito the Exiled, which mm -hmm. has phenomenal mecha yeah. fights. That I think those are directed by Inomoto-san, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, it's really cool and interesting that, you know, you have this experience at, uh, work, I mean, you're not an animator, but you have this experience working at um, 
these like traditional animation houses, mm -hmm. Madhouse and PA Works, and now you've switched over to what maybe is the future of <laughs> the well, CG animation I actually thing. don't see it as a future. It's mm -hmm. just difference in visual, uh, different method of visualization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that we could do many different things compared because because it's supported by PC, the power right. of the computer, and also, but it's still people who's managing these computers. So it's interesting how we're trying to find the creative balance and the systematic balance of uh, the visualization. Yeah. Um, I guess because you talked about the studio environments before. So what's Orange look like compared to those other ones? Mm, see, like overall CG studio. Um, so it's since I just started CG from this month, I've actually never, almost never dealt with CG production mm -hmm. in my hand, like actual hand-drawn production experience. Right. So this is a totally new environment for me. So I'm trying to gather information, ask like my friends who works at other studio, CG studios. And it feels like overall CG studios, um, they're much more um, employees. So most of oh. their staff are employees. And I'm not exactly sure why this is, but one of the reasons that I was told was that it's because each CG studio requires certain software. So oh. they need to know that software. They can't just transfer from one studio to another unless they're using the same software. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, and and it's kind of potentially more cost-effective for the company to like buy licenses to the software in mm -hmm. bulk and install them on in-house computers yeah. rather than have all these like freelancers installing and If the they're coming in, they have to be trained to that new software. Mm -hmm. So and if you're training freelancers... You're not, they could just immediately leave. So instead of yep, training yep. freelancers, you train an employee, that makes, it makes sense that you're training a corporate, to make the corporate workforce but like stronger. It's kind of interesting, right? Because that creates an incentive for these companies to treat their employees potentially better mm -hmm. than the, the traditional animators get treated. Yeah, so like, I, I don't know other CG studios, so I can't speak for the entire CG industry as a whole in Japan. But yeah, like I've worked at actually, well, I did have a little bit of CG experience at Digital Frontier, mm. which is a CG studio. Um, they are, do. Are they, aren't they in the US? No, they're no. a Japanese company. Okay, okay. I'm getting them confused with some US, like LA um, CG they do, studio. Oh, they actually do a lot of Hollywood CGs. Oh, maybe that's why I'm yeah. thinking of that. So yeah. I think they're, they're photoreal. They're more photoreal CGs. So they do in uh, the Appleseed Alpha, was it? Oh, the, yeah, okay. I have with much more photoreal yep, yep. type of rendering, or the Resident Evil CG movies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but I wasn't actually part of the production. I was developing, so I wasn't actually dealing with CG. So yeah, it's got to be a really... completely different process, right? I mean, I I don't have a I have experience CG animating, but not working in like an industrial production where that where you actually need you know whatever it's like student projects mm -hmm. you don't need a production assistant for a student project but uh yeah i mean i i know there's like and i i'm somewhat aware of what, what those pipelines look like and mm -hmm. they are they obviously don't involve like passing physical materials around that's mm -hmm. a major yeah. change right it's all data <laughs> yeah and so you're probably using a lot of like specialized software for asset management mm -hmm. i would imagine so, right um I need to understand more of the program, but <laughs> um, we use a program called Shotgun. Hmm. So it's part of all the Autodesk, I think, merchandise, right. okay. yeah, yeah. which involves 3D Max and uh, other 3D softwares. Is that what the um, like the modelers and animators use? Yeah. The 3ds Max. 
or yeah. monitors. I'm not sure what they use, but yeah, okay. for animating we use 3ds Max, mm. and because we specifically use a, a tune shader called Pencil, and I think it's developed only in Japan. Oh, okay, but I is just that heard... is that like I'm kind of curious about that. Is there basically one tune shader that everybody in the industry uses, mm, or is it, it are they, do they use different ones? I think they use different ones, but a lot of people that a lot of studios that do similar styles as Orange use this pencil. So okay. yeah, it's, it feels like a pencil is a popular one. I should probably explain tune shaders to the audience. We might be getting too jargony here without <laughs> me stopping to explain. But a, a tune shader is basically a, a shader in a 3D uh, in a 3D program that will render the uh, objects not with like a sort of photorealistic shadow effect, but will kind of do two or sometimes more colors and do a hard transition from dark to light. So you get this hard shadow and we'll also draw outlines around the edge of objects. So it's sort of trying to imitate the way that a hand-drawn piece of animation looks. So this is why you get the shows that look like, they kind of are trying to look like 2D anime, but they're actually 3D models. For like hand-drawn, um, technically you could raise the quality of the, product, the final product any time in the process, in the production. Hmm. You could lower it at, at the same time. What too. do you mean? So, for example, um, if a uh, storyboard is done um, and key animator is working on and if the, I don't want to say it, but if the storyboard is <laughs> really crappy, yeah. key animator can take it and say they could really bump it up, the okay, quality. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the final film might much be better. They could, so if the key animator is very motivated, it highly reflects onto that right. uh, quality. But CG animation, um, what I hear is that the, pre the pre-development is really important to raise the quality of the final mm -hmm. film. Because um, anything, the pre-development basically raises the foundation of the quality. But anything after that is the, basically the stem is already built. Yeah. And the only quality that you could change is between the, if, if the stem is a tree, then all, only the width of the branch is the range of the, yep, the quality yep. that could go. It can't just spontaneously go, like the stem can't just go grow sky high. Yeah, it seems to me like though there would be two, there's almost two conflicting things there where there's some aspects of CG that make it easier to tweak things, to mm -hmm. even go back and like fix things that, you, that are much harder. Like the main thing I think of is that if you pick a bad camera angle in 2D, you're fucked. Yeah. Right. And you're just like, if the animator's already drawn it, you'd have to go back and redo everything yeah. from step one. But you can move the camera and re render yeah. in 3D. But, but it sounds like the sort of stuff that you're talking about that makes it hard is things like if you have a bad model, yes. you're kind of fucked. Um, <laughs> it's not about the bad model too much, but it's more of the bad rigs. Oh, yeah. Or a bad yeah. rig. Right. And then your animator can't do anything with a bad rig. Yeah. Because if, <laughs> the, if the functioning, like if the arm doesn't function the way that animator wants to describe it physically, the model doesn't physically move, then animator can't do that. You can't yeah, yeah. describe the animation that they want to. So once again, to describe this for people, the rig is basically like an, in, to the, simplify it, an invisible bone, skeleton yeah. that runs through the character that uh, articulates them so that the animator can move them. I'm moving my arms here, but you can't see me doing anything. <laughs> it's useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I hear from our team that rigging is really important. Yep, yep. But yeah, that's like a whole specialized skill. There's people, you know, who do that as their entire job, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, like um, our studio sense is replicate. Um, it's looks like a two D drawing too. Right. So, like, if depending on angle, if you change the camera, we may have altered the face to make it look like two D. But mm. in three D element, the face is just warped. Yep. Yep. Um, the famous one is a Naruto. I think the game Naruto game that early on they developed by um, CyberConnect. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to met storm they had like a demo where if they change the camera Naruto's jaws like sideways <laughs> like it's extending like scream well, there, mask there were tons of screenshots people got of that new dragon ball game the um fighters the one oh, that was done by uh-huh. the um by arc system works and they really do nail the you know like that game uses a tune shader and they nail that that you know anime style with 3d models but they do it by like you know people zoomed out and got shots where it's like Goku's arm is all twisted and warped <laughs> and weird, and because that's what gives you like the foreshortening or whatever that you, that the animator is looking for in that scene. Yeah, it's really not as simple as maybe it looks. It's yeah. not just like pose Goku, put a camera there, it looks good. Because <laughs> yeah, like two D animation, if you're looking from the side of a character, you see two of their eyes, even though it's right next to their face on the mm. side. 90 degrees side of their face. Yeah. So it's physically impossible to see in real life two of their eyes on the screen. Or but. things like even the like the most classic one is like a Mickey Mouse or Astro Boy where mm-hmm. they have the, the ears or the spikes oh, yeah. that sort of have to flip depending on the angle that like, I mean, it makes a ton of sense in manga form. It sort of makes sense in 2D anime form and then it just starts to break down yeah. the moment that you put it in 3D. <laughs> oh, the famous episode we have at Madhouse was um, Kaiji's nose. <laughs> so in the comic, Kaiji's nose, it changes every time depending on the angle of the face. Oh, wow. So when making it into animation, it's about 3D. So how do you develop Kaiji's nose? Like, it makes sense by looking at the 2D drawing, but his face moves. So it's not a 3D object. So he's like, is it... I'm trying to think of it because I've seen Kaiji, but it's that his nose has a slightly different shape depending on the, the angle. Physically, the place of the nose on his face in the manga, depending on the angle of the camera. Like if you see him in profile view, versus yeah. straight on. It's yeah. different. It's It could be like to more closely to his left eye or more closely <laughs> to his right eye. But as a freeze frame, it works. Right, right. It looks natural because it's all about the emotion right there. And you can't get the pointy noses wrong on yeah. a Fukumoto character. Yeah. Like the fans will flip. It's not going to work. <laughs> so early on in the development process, they really tried different angles. So they just gave up on the whole looking 3D, but making this whole deception that it looks like it moves naturally, mm. but it's not moving in a 3D aspect. Right. Wow. That's yeah. That, that's a that's a good one. Something I think that you you brought up before that is uh, that's an interesting trend in the industry is the these kind of increasing numbers of foreign like foreign born creators, mm-hmm. many of whom working in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of like like I think there's like this, this twofold thing that's happening right now where it's kind of coming from both directions where you have more creators coming from other countries to work in Japan as just, you know, animators or background artists or, or sometimes even directors. And then you have people who are, you have studios that are increasingly like more involved overseas, right? So like hiring people like you to come mm-hmm. to conventions and like 
the fact that there was an English-speaking representative of Studio Orange at Otakon mm. is kind of a thing that we we haven't seen that much of in the past, right? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm just kind of interested in like your your thoughts because you're kind of in the middle of that. You're doing that. <laughs> well, like the market itself has been expanding to international in really fast pace, um, thanks to like Crunchyroll, Netflix. Like, there's many thoughts uh, fans against them, but it definitely contributed to the expansion of the market in overseas. Oh and, yeah, like specifically, you think that the Japanese, I think I've seen evidence of this too, the Japanese companies like through talking to companies like Crunchyroll and seeing their shows come over there were like, oh, we got to get in on that too. Hmm. Is that what you're saying? No, no, I mean, Sorry. simply number of sh- the, like number of people watching anime and Japanese animation. Oh, just increasing the, yeah, the just volume increasing, of yeah. audience. Okay. I mean, they're appealing to different targets, so mm-hmm. um, it might not be the same target as people who wants it to be. But yeah, the market has been expanding much yeah. faster. So market expanding means that whatever created has to consider it. Now, the, that shift in the creator side has been very slow. But because of it, there has been many international speak, multinational creators. people, yeah, creators or uh. just labor force mm-hmm. um, entering into the Japanese production side too. It totally depends on what the studio wants too. Like for example, if the studio is just making so for example, if their studio is making like Sazai-san mm-hmm. or like uh, it's like really domestic Japanese show. I mean, Sazai-san is um, a good example. Yeah, Maybe Sazai- Doraemon. But Doraemon has a big like yeah. Asian audience, right? Yeah. It's a huge Asian audience. Yeah. But yeah, like Sazai-san, you wouldn't need an international crew to make Sazai-san because it's highly about... It's basically Japanese Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. It's not as interesting as Simpsons because Japanese people are not too interesting. (laughs) 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 I'm just exaggerating, but yeah, the Japanese, it's about... It's not about black slapstick jokes too much on their life. So yeah, it's... It's about Japanese culture. So you wouldn't want those people on the production. But other shows, like more dramatic shows, yeah, like yeah. more action-oriented. Or shows maybe yeah, that even take place in more Western mm-hmm. settings, things like it, that, right? If the anime takes place in London, mm-hmm. you want someone who's familiar with London. So I think uh, I remember Trigger talked about how they used, like they actually talked, or I think maybe Aya Suzuki mentioned this, that, that Trigger talked to her mm-hmm. when they were working on Little Witch Academia because mm-hmm. she's like, Japanese British or something she, she so. lives in London and so like they basically asked her for advice about like ah, depicting England and depicting like the UK uh, it also reminds me actually of a thing so we just uh, I did a panel yesterday uh, with uh, my friend Nate about character animation and we talked about a scene from Kids on the Slope mm-hmm. where Bahi JD who's an Austrian animator uh, he animated a uh like a scene of a bunch of kids beckoning these other kids to like come to a concert <laughs> and uh he did it by like doing these big sweeping like come here gestures that were like i think japanese fans told him that's not how japanese oh, people yeah. <laughs> gesture at all like it looks cool but it's not actually the way that we do it <laughs> yeah there's so many japanese gestures that pe- japanese people think it's international right but no it's not then we have to talk a lot about those kind of things 
Yeah. Uh, other things we need to talk about is the TV codes. Like U.S. TV codes are, I mean, pointing the gun at the screen. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a Kijanji, that. but in Japan, it's not. It's not. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a um, a sign of like endearment is pointing a gun at a, a screen. <laughs> <laughs> so like artist wise, I mean, if you can draw, that's your skill. Right, so right. even if you can't speak Japanese, um, if someone on the production side can. Or even just communicating visually, <laughs> um, it's not the optimal yeah, environment, yeah. but it can work. But for if you're not a if you're not a artist, then you really need that language skill. Or it's right, not more right. about language skill, but understanding of creativity and culture. Yeah, especially if you're doing something like production where you need to be talking to yeah. the artists and communicating back and forth. It's yeah. really about when you're a production manager. It's really about communicating. Is everything so you're right. communicating the director's intention to the artist? So if you can't do that, if you don't understand the culture between them, the thought process between them, you're right. not going to be able to be the good production management. I think there's a funny sort of irony to this that for years people would go to conventions and they would always ask these questions that you know me and my friends we would kind of make fun of it where they'd be like how can I work in anime? And it's like, mm. it's not going to happen. Come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you s- speak Japanese fluently or something, it's, it's probably not happening. But now they're actually, like, it looks like that is more and more of a real thing is that anime is, is internationalizing and, and the industry seems more and more open to people from think, overseas. Yeah, I think um, it's just a matter of determination. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're waiting to be called, like, on my side, from my um, beginning story, I can't really say, uh, speak strongly about it, but... Like a lot of people who's now works um, much younger generation who works in an industry who comes from international um, background, they really want they're really passionate about it and they came to Japan and they applied. Right. I mean, so I, they weren't I, just <laughs> waiting for an opportunity. I always love like people ask um, Andrew Upton from mm-hmm. Mappa. Yeah. Like how Andrew's how good. did you get a job in the anime industry and they expect it to be some like big saga? And his answer is he's just like, well. I applied for the job on the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah, I met Andrew like when he got hired like three months into Mappa. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, this kid is great. Like, he's great. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing, and he has so much potential in this industry mm-hmm. because he's very insightful. Uh, he's very um, perceptive mm-hmm. and open to. Um, he's very he's bilingual to natural yep. point. I mean, his Japanese was rough at the time, but now it's very fluent, mm. much now. So even if it's a little bit rigid, if you're perceptive, then I think the studio has possibilities of working with you. It just depends on what type of studio. Right, right. Bigger, stu- bigger the studio, or if they're more international-oriented, then there's a possibility of working there. Yeah. But, I mean, you have to, any job, most jobs, you have to start by applying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think uh, my impression is that nobody's going to hire you for being the biggest anime fan. They're going to mm-hmm. hire you. For, I mean, that, that was always true for, like, Crunchyroll, too. Mm-hmm. We used to do panels called, like, working in the anime industry. And the message I always try to give people was, like, don't try to make it your whole thing mm-hmm. to be, like, I'm a, such a big fan. I want to work in anime. Make it your thing that it's, like, I have something I do, mm-hmm. and I can use that to work in an industry I'm interested in but not like hyper focus on it. Cause that's just a great way to like 
make yourself not look like a good candidate to these companies and then also like get yourself really disappointed because you're too hyper focused yeah, um because the professional experience when you start working in an industry you get to notice so many like things when you're watching anime so you're not going to enjoy it you're not as, gonna be a fan yeah not, well you could still be a fan sure but you're not gonna enjoy it as purely as possible anymore like when even, i'm watching even, movies i'm like Mm, that angle. Yep. <laughs> like, Even me, I mean, I don't, I don't work in anime production, but at this point, I can't watch anime without being like <laughs> just seeing the animation details of it, and yeah. like you know, I'm just thinking too hard about it. I can't shut my brain off. I watched it. I watched anime one time at an anime club thing with some friends in San Francisco, and one of my friends used to work at Crunchyroll on the video encoding. Mm-hmm. The funniest thing, because it was just you know we're talking about the show, and he's like, oh man. The, like interlacing here? Are you kidding me? He's like, he's just, <laughs> all he's talking about is the details of the video yeah. encoding. <laughs> oh, like if, if the rendering on the screen <laughs> fucked up. I'm like, oh my god, how did they pass the check? So, yeah. So like, I I used to be a well, I'm still a, I'm an anime fan, but before I joined the industry, I'm a big anime and manga fan. Mm-hmm. So my my love for manga is much bigger than. Uh, yeah, my well, my love for anime is big, but my consumption for manga is very big. Oh yeah, compared to anime. I don't. I don't know if I've I've actually uh, asked you uh, like for this this directly before, but I mean, what are your what are your favorites? As someone who works in the industry, I think people are always interested in that. Oh. Some favorite anime and manga. Well, what inspired me um, for becoming interested in anime was Satoshi Kon. Because when I watch Perfect Blue for the first time, I'm like, holy shit. Um, horror was never a genre I've seen in anime. Yeah. And this is possible anime. And so anime has so much broader possibilities than just a cartoon or that comedy or just simple everyday uh, Sunday anime. Mm-hmm. And so Konto Satoshi's work really inspires me still nowadays. And that's the reason that, I mean, it was Madhouse. So right, that's right. the whole reason I wanted to become Madhouse. Unfortunately, I never got the chance to work with him. Right, right. But yeah, manga-wise, I read any kind of genre. So hmm. from shoujo to shonen, um, like hardcore, uh, more gory stuff, to also BL as well. Oh, yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> I just follow cool. a favorite artist. And if the artists draw BL, then I'll go for it. <laughs> uh, so I think I have like two things I want to hit before we get out of here and get back to the convention uh, one is are there any big like as, as someone who spends time both in the US and Japan are there any big misconceptions that you think you kind of hear from fans there's so many that, yeah like I, like, I don't know some, some notable ones um, hmm I mean, I have my own list that I hear all the time, you know, yeah, and there's I, so I, many... I do all my panels to try to <laughs> dispel them. Um, well, one, th- one thing is that what determines the quality of animation is really the producer and the director or the core creative team instead mm-hmm. of like studios or director just only. Right. Yeah, it's really about the core creative, creative team and producers def- producer and production assistant definitely part of it. So that really determines the show's quality. People definitely put a lot of stock into studios. Yeah. That is not necessarily accurate. Um, studio, like bigger the studio, the it's more broader they, they're trying to go for. 
Oh, so, actually, that okay. That reminded me of a really funny recent example where somebody I'm gonna like put a random person on Twitter on blast. I don't remember who it was, uh-huh. but I remember I I had a tweet that got a lot of retweets or something about the um the Akira, the new Akira project that um that uh, Ultimus Sunrise Akira? announced the Ultimus animation. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I mentioned it was gonna be, like Sunrise was announcing it, so it's probably gonna be produced by them. And somebody responded to it being like. Oh well, this is from the studio that made uh, Cowboy Bebop and mm. uh, and Outlaw Star, and like, <laughs> just started listing things from Sunrise, and it was like, I mean, that's like none of the same people. It's just completely yeah, unrelated. Bebop, it's totally Bones now. So right. It's not tied to Sunrise currently anymore. Yeah, but that's such a good example of that where people just like see the name and it's like, right? I mean, that's the brand name that's associated mm-hmm. with those series, but it has like nothing to do with the actual. Yeah talent behind it i mean i i used to think that way too so mm-hmm. but yeah seeing actual how it works yeah it's really tied to the really the driving the driving creative team all right well that, that's a good one uh i think last thing to maybe just leave on here it's a much much sadder note but i, I think since we're talking about the industry we we obviously have to say something here about kyoto animation and the the uh arson attack against the studio and i don't know if you want to like have any thoughts about it here at we don't want to like necessarily do a whole show here about it but yeah every time i just think about this it's so much sadness and rage just comes up and i can't talk why about it too Mm -hmm. much but yeah but um killed animation the founders the hata um, they really spent their lifetime, no, not lifetime, but two decades, yeah. um, trying to find a safe place for artists or animation artists to exp- fully express themselves and without worries of like everyday life problems. Yeah, yeah. And they've been spending every hour, every minute, every second of their life ever since 20 years ago to create that environment. So I think that like, and they inspired other people to uh, follow, go with, uh, work with them to develop that, that that entire, the safe haven. And this arson attack was, not only the attack to their studio, and that itself is a big big. But um, it was an attack to their ideology as well. Right, to the the whole idea of providing yeah. that safe space for people. But and it's and the fire, fire is one of the really hardest way to. Um, fire is a really violent force too. Yep, yep. Um, my father, I said in the panel too, but my father burned off his leg, and it was a third degree burn. It looked like the leg was intact, but no, it was not. It just looks like it's mm-hmm. still there. So people in the hospital is still struggling. So I really hope people can support them. Yeah, I was going to um, say. Be very a... considerate of them themselves, but That's... also if you have financial, like a right. little bit um, that you could help them, um, all those uh, different accounts, um, like uh, the Kyoani's direct bank accounts or Sentai or Right Stuff or any way that they're, I'm sure all these people are trying to help them. Yeah, so I was I was gonna say we'll we'll have links to the the crowdfunding campaigns in the the show notes so people can go look those up. Um, but yeah. I think that's... Um, I have one one oh, thing sure. and one more. Sure, thing. sure. Um, I do have a hope too. Mm-hmm. 
what's lost is significant, and the artist's life that lost is built upon 100 years of Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. So there's no way of really... That the people who are affected by it, their their meant their what do you call it? their emotional loss is really a traumatic experience, mm-hmm. and it's I think if I was them, it would be something unrecoverable. But as I said, they're one of the strongest people I know in the industry. I've never seen them. I've never seen a stronger person than. The, the studio team of Kyoto Animation. So I do have hope that if given time, they will come back up. Yeah. Seems like a good place to end here. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening and then thanks for coming on the show for this yeah, little, for little convention me. bit here. Uh, and also I guess thank you, this is going to be a Patreon episode, so thank you to uh, the patrons for supporting Gamers for continuing to support us. We'll hopefully have some more uh, kind of interviewee episodes like this in the future for you like let's get back to otakon it's only saturday <laughs> <laughs> yeah so many things happening exciting there's, there's drinking to be done tonight i yeah. believe that seems okay to me i think i can deal with that and I can clean it up in post, which is famous last words of any podcaster is I can clean it up in post. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure I'll fix that later. No worries.